Welcome to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, a podcast about geek culture by lawyers with your hosts, Ben Siders and Kurt Damon. And welcome back to A Lawyer's Guide to the Galaxy, the podcast that asks interesting questions that don't have any answers. With your host, Ben Siders, that's me, and the other guy is Kirk Damon. We are still uh, dealing with the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, which as of today, which is July 8th, uh, 2020, uh, continues to rage on in the United States. At any rate, uh, Kirk is on vacation and he has sent me an episode on Pokemon and kind of bleed over into uh, universe copyright slash branding. Uh, so I'm going to try to get a number of these uh, Edamame episodes out the door here. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and drop uh, Kirk's content in here so you can enjoy that. I have not listened to it yet, so we will enjoy it together. Thanks, and here's Kirk. Okay, I am jumping back on for another Edamame episode. Um, yeah, whereas we say they're not a full pod, um, partially because it's just me. Um, I am outside again and recording this one. Uh, so again, background noise may happen. Um, I, I've taken to recording these things outside partially because of the fact that my house is kind of noisy, um, you know, and I don't get a lot of, of space. It also allows me to escape from everybody and not have them find me immediately. Uh, it also allows them to not necessarily overhear what I'm talking about and, and people necessarily wanting to participate uh, in conjunction with these. Uh, this may be the most important of those for the participation. And one of the things I want to talk about, and I think I touched briefly on this in a prior show, but I don't remember, is one of the things that I've been doing in conjunction with my family with this is I have gotten a very thorough introduction to Pokemon. Um, so I think I talked about it previously. My, my son has been fairly into uh, Pokemon. I mean, he has Pokemon bed sheets, he has Pokemon pajamas, uh, a number of the toys, and has played the collectible card game. But one of the things for quarantine, um, we actually, and I, I have to credit my wife with this, she had the bright idea of going to the library before the library closed. Uh, we ran off with a large amount of books from the library. And one of the things that we got uh, from it was we got both the uh, CD sets for the Pokemon Indigo League, uh, the very first, I guess, uh, Pokemon animated series, and Pokemon Orange League, uh, the one that follows immediately thereafter. Unfortunately, we've now made it all the way through the Indigo League uh, collection. Unfortunately, it was not the entire CD set, which we didn't, or DVD set, which we didn't realize. Uh, we're missing the last three discs. So we've had lots of Ash journeying, uh, but we've had none of him getting there um, in the final battles. So so that was kind of unfortunate we got no culmination from it. Uh, but it was still a good show. And now we're uh, basically one disc through the Orange League listening to it. Because of the fascination with this, uh, we've also discovered the current um, Sun and Moon. Um, uh, I don't remember what it is. It's, it's got a separate uh, subcategory underneath it, something beast. Um, is also currently out. And so we've also taken to watching that. What I think is so interesting about watching it, one, I've actually enjoyed the shows. Um, now, part of it's, you know, I've, I've been sort of interested in the uh, mythology of Pokemon. I did play Pokemon Go. I know I've mentioned that on the show before. My son was into it. Um, and so I've been kind of interested in the mythology of it. But it's one of those things that has never really struck me. Um, I never really got the true appeal of it. And I do think part of that is just because timing-wise, I'm obviously watching it as an adult. Um, it was not something I grew up with, but it was something I knew was around, um, even when I was a little bit younger, but I could never understand necessarily why people were so into it. So when I used to go to Pokemon Go raids, um, I'd encounter plenty of people around there. It was fun. I enjoyed going to the raids. Uh, it was just sort of fun to meet up, you know, with random people, um, you know, at some point in time that you, you encountered on a somewhat regular basis related to raids. You could chit chat a bit, you know, what did you caught, stuff like that. 
but I never had the extreme like desire to it. The, the one I, I really remember is the very first time they did the, I think they were called Ultra Raids, um, where you had to be invited. Uh, it was the only way at the time to get Mewtwo which was the first release. Um, you know, I remember seeing, Hey, we, you know, we're going to go to this raid. It's going to be cool. I've never done one of these. Uh, it was the first one I'd gotten invited to. And it was one of the first ones that they'd done. I mean, I'm only like the first or second of the ones that they'd done that we, that anybody around me had had access to. And I remember going and like doing the raid. Like this was fun. This was cool. Great. I got this really powerful Pokemon, which at the time you couldn't do a lot with, um, you know, battles had not really come into play yet. Um, it was mostly just gym battles, which I always found a bit, um, Anticlimactic uh, might be the best way to describe it. Um, and this was the the newer gyms when I started playing. And again, the, the time of when they did this, so it wasn't the old where you had the the problem with the tank tanked up gyms you couldn't take. Um, now that was the the decrease over time and the ability to take gyms that I think dramatically improved the game. But I remember when we when we caught Mewtwo, there were probably sixty people there. Uh, we'd separated into multiple different raid groups, and at the end of it, I'm like, "Hey, great! I caught this cool thing. That's neat. You know, I caught." But there are people like running around hugging that, you know, they're, they're just so happy. And I remember kind of thinking like, why, um, you know, what is it about this that, that so strikes people as being important? You know, why is it, you know, catching Mewtwo is so big. Um, and even as I've gotten more involved in it, I, I've reached the point that it's the, I still don't entirely, you know, understand it. I, I, we went inside Detective Pikachu, which I loved as a movie. Um, I thought it was hugely fun. Um, but it wasn't a movie that I saw, you know, again, I didn't need to see, you know, that this is what Pikachu would look like in live anim- action animation as opposed to being, you know, an animated character, you know, being more sort of real world, um, things like that. So it was one of those where it really kind of struck me as just why is it that people have such an attachment to it? Well, now being able to see the Indigo League and seeing the Orange League, I really am starting to understand more of it, um, I think. And I look back at myself, and when I was a, a you know a kid, the the big animated cartoon series I watched was the Transformers and GI Joe. Um, they came on one right after another. Uh, I was much more into Transformers, and actually, the timing of when I got home from school, GI Joe. By the time I got off the school bus, had usually started, and so I often missed the beginning of it. Um, but Transformers was after, and I'd see uh, I'd see all of Transformers, and that was what I really wanted to watch. Um, those, those definitely struck me as being nostalgic and being some, you know, as being something that at the time was very important. And even now I'm nostalgic for them and I enjoy them, but I never had that with Pokemon, but now I sort of treat it as it's hey, Pokemon in some respects for some people is the same thing I had in conjunction with Transformers and GI Joe. Um, and so I get a little more of the, the desire to it at the same time. I've also recognized that I think there is a much more, um, appeal to the, the collectability of Pokemon. Um, and that wasn't obviously a core of the show, the idea of capturing these Pokemon, of having ones that are yours, of battling people who have other ones, and, and getting to see new ones in the introduction. Um, and the sort of, you know, inc- as they get increasingly more powerful as they evolve, um, stuff along those lines. So anyway, it's a, it's a very interesting thing to me to just sort of watch this. Like I said, I understand it more. I think that people have kind of a visceral thing to this. And what I want to tie this back into is associations we've talked about previously with where do people have the visual reaction to Star Wars and the changes to Star Wars. And I think that's the easiest way for me to understand it at this point in time is that that's what I've had. That That's my, you know, version of where I have problems with it. If I have problems with the changes, I have the visual, you know, the, the sort of visceral reaction 
um, to it is, you know, hey, I've, I've got this, I've got that. Still not to quite to the same extent. And again, I think part of it is just the nature of the collectability of the Pokemon and that, that part of the story is collecting them, of, you know, capturing them. This is a large challenge to, to capture and collect them. And, you know, being able to do that now is a unique thing. Um, we've also been playing much more of the collectible card game. Um, my, my son's gotten the collectible card game. He has also now created his own version of Pokemon battles around the collectible card game, uh, which doesn't require playing the card game and is, is much simpler. Um, it's also something that I think he can near universally win, which is probably the part of the reason that he's, uh, it appeals to him. Um, basically he wins because he always has more powerful Pokemon than everybody else does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, um, it's, it's been interesting sort of learning this thing to learn all the stuff about Pokemon uh, and where it goes. And it's just been announced. It's, people have probably seen this. Pokemon is now the most valuable brand in the world. Um, you know, it's it's something that I think everybody has touched on. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit when we got into the legal side of this is not just in the idea of now starting to understand more about Pokemon um, and seeing what it is, but under starting to understand and starting to question the idea of what makes Pokemon a brand. Um, anybody who's knows it. And I think if you haven't, uh, you can get a pretty quick uh, crash course, but I'll give you just a few basic overviews of things that struck me. Uh, so the vast majority of Pokemon, definitely you can catch stuff from a lot of their names. Um, that has something to do with a little bit of what they are. Um, Pikachu's, I think, kind of the exception. Uh, Pikachu's kind of a unique thing. Um, obviously, it's sort of the star of the show, but a lot of the other ones don't. So the example of, like, uh, you know what I put out there, and I think uh, as a good example, is Squirtle. Squirtle is basically a turtle, um, and as he gets more and more powerful, he becomes Wartortle, um, and then becomes Blastoise. Obviously, they're all the names or plays off of, you know, the words turtle and tortoise. Um, he's a turtle. Um, you know, his, he's a water type. He uses attacks as a turtle. You know, he squirts water. Um, so it's one of those where, you know, I think you look at him and say he's not necessarily completely made up. He obviously has some connection to reality and to real things. But what makes him a Pokemon? Um, and this comes from the fact that my, my son is part of the collectible card game, has started making his own cards. Um, now, he's made his own game associated with it, but he does the same kind of thing. And it's one of those where he tends to do the same thing. He, he kind of finds things around and then kind of plays off of them uh, as to what they would be. So, you know, for example, he has, you know... <laughs> Uh, just becoming uh, attracted to uh, the you know, body parts as he was you know, looking for things to use. He has, you know, finger, which evolves into hand. Um, so, you know, you've got a little bit of that idea of them being somewhat real things, somewhat things we relate to. Um, you definitely see it in conjunction with the, um, the, the show, you know, Growlithe is a dog. Um, and, you know, basically takes the place of dogs in conjunction with it. You know, you've got the, the Pokemon all sort of having their, their, their uses, their roles, um, stuff like that, particularly in conjunction with the show and where they come in. Um, but they all tend to have some relationship to, in some sense, real things. So I think it's one of those where it's a very, um, it's a very interesting thing that they're, they're not completely made up. Um, 
they obviously have some connections. And again, if you go through the books, I've, I've been through my son's books in conjunction with it. A lot of them have connections to something. You can see sort of what it is. You know, this one is a, a candle and the candle evolves into a chandelier, um, you know, and their names are similar to those. Now there's obviously also completely made up ones, um, but they, they obviously have some connection. They also have, you know, connections to elements to sort of seem, you know, classic elemental type arguments, uh, things like that. So that then brought to me is why is this the most valuable brand? Um, what is it about that's made them so unique? If you look at it and say, you know, I can come up with, um, you know, a, a pigeon looking creature and come up with a name like Pidgey, um, you know, which is the, the pigeon Pokemon, um, and by far the most sort of common and one of the most well-known ones uh, in the universe. Why why does this one brand have the huge value that it does? Um, what does it mean to be able to say something's a Pokemon versus just being able to say it's an animated animal that, you know, uh, is a companion and sort of lives in its own world? What makes it that? And it's not something that you necessarily pin down. And it's what uh, comes to me and, and doing it when you do talking about intellectual property. It ultimately does come down to a brand. The, the reason a Pokemon is valuable, the reason Pokemon is valuable as a brand is because people want Pokemon. They don't want creatures that are, you know, vaguely uh, resembling things in, in the real world but happen to be drawn in a Japanese anime style. They want Pokemon. Uh, and it's valuable because it's a Pokemon. And Pokemon is valuable because people want Pokemon. So it, it becomes almost a self-fulfilling cycle. And it's one of those things that I find very, very interesting in conjunction with branding um, and in trademarking. And it's something when I talk to people about, you know, what does it mean to trademark? What does it mean to become a brand? Um, I think a lot of people understand at sort of a, a, a core level. They understand the idea of, you know, hey, I want to be a brand. I want to have things be my brand. I want them to be important. Um, but they don't necessarily understand from a protection point of view of the idea that, you know, if you really want to say, you know, you're the sole one who gets to dictate what is a Pokemon, you have to be the Pokemon company. Um, and that means you get to dictate what is and is not a Pokemon. Um, it is, you know, if it's not a Pokemon, it's just, a, you know, Japanese anime style, you know, thing loosely based upon an object which exists in our world, which has different kinds of powers and resistance, a different kind of world. Um, so anyway, that was the, the, the real take on this one is just to talk a little bit about that and what does it mean to be branding. It's been a, a continuous theme for me and something that I've sort of always studied. I know we've done initially a very early on episode and we've talked about revisiting again something that's fascinating to me, which is the idea of what does it mean to be in universe um, and sort of what is copyright in universe? Uh, what does it relate to? This is the idea of talking about it's not necessarily sort of the copyright and the, the coverage of copyright in universe, but it literally now being that universe is a brand that you know, you've got something that says it is this thing because we say it is this thing. Uh, we don't necessarily have to put much of a story around it. Um, I don't know if all the Pokemon that appear like in the, you know, unabridged guide to Pokemon or that appear in the card game or appear in all the various games, uh, exist in the animated series or exist elsewhere sort of in the universe. I assume they exist somewhere. That's what, where they've originally created. Um, I don't know if there's any that exists only as products, so to speak, you know, that that's, you know, you can buy an, and, uh, um, a stuff in a plush version of one, but you can't necessarily see it anywhere, um, in any of the products that there may be. Um, but that's the, the, the thing that I sort of wanted to get into with this is it's, 
it's interesting to think about it from a copyright point of view and the idea of copyright and universe and protection of copyright and universe. And what does it mean to be in universe and to be canon? We now see it not just in the idea of copyright and not just in the idea of sort of being part of a storyline officially, but now being part of a brand um, where you don't necessarily need to even be part of the story uh, to still be part of the brand. You know, uh, all the Pokemon in, in my son's encyclopedia of it have literally a one sentence description of what they are. Um, oftentimes, you know, that description does not brought out um in conjunction with the the show it's not something that people necessarily talk about um you know in the animated show or in anything that this is sort of what the the one sentence item is but i think it does tell you the idea of just how important it is to have things be interconnected um, and that you know now we have the world's most valuable brand being essentially an interconnection of things and a universe from those interconnection of things, which changes every time a new episode comes out. Um, as we have been watching Sun and Moon, you know, I have no idea what a Z move is. We have not encountered those in Orange League yet. Obviously, that's a new thing. Um, uh, from those, oh, sorry, Z moves in Orange League. Um, we didn't uh, encounter sort of those things, you know, those types of things in Indigo League. But in Sun and Moon, like there's, you know, all of a sudden new things, there's new discussions um, as to what it is. And every one of these things seems to introduce whole new concepts. Um, what does it sort of mean to to continue those concepts? And it seems to be coming increasingly common in conjunction with brands of this idea of things falling under the brand. Uh, I think the Lego Ninjago series, another good example, um, you know, which starts off basically as sort of, you know, traditional uh, martial art movie um, style ninjas. I mean, they're, I wouldn't say they're historical, um, but they're definitely sort of, you know, fantasy versions of ninjas uh, is where they all started, you know, fighting you know, evil skeletons. It was a sort of standard plot line. You know, and by the time the Ninjago movie comes out, the Ninjago movie is all about, you know, mecha uh, constructs. You know, the skeleton warriors have kind of gone and they're still there, but, you know, they've kind of gone by the wayside. And we're focused much more on sort of modern world um, and, and influence in conjunction with, you know, modern and even, uh, you know, science fiction era concepts. So anyway, I want to talk about that uh, as the idea of branding and that brands are becoming potentially increasingly valuable uh, in the world. And what does it mean to, at this point in time, be part of a brand? Um, so anyway, that's uh, my talk on there. Obviously, it rambled a little bit. Um, these these uh, <laughs> Edamame episodes, I think, have a habit of, of wandering a little bit just because I have nobody uh, to talk to. You know, I'm sitting here talking to my phone um, and not necessarily talking, you know, with Ben or, or with anybody else directly. So I don't necessarily always have a foil for my thoughts. But anyway... I was going to put that one out there, see what people have as a thought. Um, and obviously, if you have anything to talk about in conjunction with it, feel free to send a comment in, and uh, we'll try to address it in a future episode. Talk to you later. All right, Kirk. Thank you very much. Uh, that's all we've got for now. Like I said uh, in the intro, we've got more content coming, and I will be trying to get those episodes out to you over the next uh, few weeks of July here. So that's all for today. We'll see you next time. Lorem, play us out. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Lewis Rice LLC, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. This podcast was produced and recorded in St. Louis, Missouri. 